hppodcraft.com. It was Conan's savage instinct which made him wheel suddenly, for the death that was upon them made no sound. A fleeting glimpse showed the Chimerian the giant tawny shape, rearing upright against the stars, towering over him for the death stroke. No civilized man could have moved half so quickly as the barbarian moved. His sword flashed frostily in the starlight with every ounce of desperate nerve and man and beast went down together. Cursing incoherently beneath his breath, Taurus bent above the mass and saw his companion's limbs move as he strove to drag himself from under the great weight that lay limply upon him. A glance showed the startled Nemedian that the lion was dead, its slanting skull split in half. He laid hold of the carcass, and by his aid, Conan thrust it aside and clambered up, still gripping his dripping sword. That was an action-packed couple of paragraphs from Robert E. Howard's The Tower of the Elephant. This is our second episode covering the story, and we're talking about it here on the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. At hppodcraft.com, I'm Chris Lackey. And I am Chad Pfeiffer, and our reader was once again Christopher Barnes. I like to call him Kip because that's just the kind of celebrity thing I'm into. Nicknames? Of course. Somebody will say, hey, is that Robert De Niro over there? And I'll say, oh, oh Bobby? <laughs> yeah, that's him. <laughs> Kip asked us to do a Conan story, so that's what we're doing. Let me give you the quick lowdown on the action so far. Conan is a young guy, a northern barbarian. He's wandered to Zamora, which is a haven for thieves and general no-goodniks. Conan has heard about this jewel called the Heart of the Elephant, which is kept in a tower by a really nasty sorcerer named Yara. Everybody's scared of Yara, but Conan thinks, place isn't too guarded. I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to creep up in there, try to steal this jewel. As he infiltrates the tower's gardens, he runs into another thief, Taurus of Nemedia, who is also planning on getting in and stealing this jewel. Taurus is pretty clever. He strangled a guard. He's used poison to kill a bunch of lions. So Conan's cool with them teaming up on the heist. Taurus is just about to throw up a grappling hook to scale the tower when another lion tries to take them down. That's what we heard in the mm-hmm. opening there. But Conan's too swift. He's able to use a sword, take the lion out. They both prove their worth. They're a good team. Yeah. And it's onto the tower to get the jewel. So that that's where we're at. Conan is unhurt, but wonders why the beast didn't roar as it charged him. And Taurus says which I thought was creepy. All things are strange in this garden. The lions strike silently, as do other deaths. Very quiet lions are pretty... That's pretty creepy. Yeah, there's something really creepy about that, and it's a very subtle creep. It's yeah. not you know, It's not like a dripping skeleton kind of creepy. It's uh, <laughs> No, because it's, it's, something, a, it's something huge and noisy that's just not. You know, that reminds me of a story of my friend... You know Graham Eberhardt? I He's do. read for our, mm-hmm. our show before. He went to school with a kid when they asked him, what sound a dog makes. The kid went, nom, 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 like that. Okay. And everybody laughed at him and didn't know what the heck was going on. But the teacher decided to find out what the heck the kid was talking about. The kid's parents owned a mortuary. Uh-huh. They had a dog, but the dog couldn't bark because of funeral services being held at the mortuary where they lived. Okay. So they had the dog's voice box removed. Oh, no. So the dog could make no sound. So maybe what happened here is that the lions had their voice boxes removed. Oh man, that's that's crazy. That's kind of like when we were in third third or fourth grade, we got in a lot of trouble because we used to rip up notebook paper mm-hmm. and roll it into little cigarettes and pretend we were smoking. <laughs> we would do that all the time and then there was this girl in my class who rolled up one and then she started acting like she was snorting cocaine and she said <laughs> and she goes, "I just can't stop. 
I just can't stop. And none of us knew what was going on. <laughs> Which, you know, we're laughing about, but it was like, whoa. How does she know about that? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so maybe the lions had their voice boxes removed, or maybe they're just evil spirits inhabiting the bodies of lions. I don't know, but they're creepy. They're very creepy. So Taurus, he's got that grappling hook. He throws it up at the tower. And the rope is pretty thin that's attached to this grappling hook. Mm. And Conan's going, is that going to hold us? And he goes, oh, it'll hold three times my weight Mm -hmm. because it's awesome. It was, and this is weird as well, it was woven from the tresses of dead women which I took from their tombs at midnight and steeped in the deadly wine of upas tree to give it strength. Whoa. So it's a magic rope. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's straight creepy. Made from the tresses of dead women. Tori's climbs first and Conan follows after. Now, I was confused when I was reading this because they're, are they climbing, they're climbing the whole tower? I don't know because it's supposed to be 150 feet high and I don't think any human being can throw anything 150 feet straight up in the air. Earlier in the story they says 150 feet above the earth and that's as tall as the Statue of Liberty removing the base, the actual statue. Yeah, so maybe it's not actually the top of the tower but there's a balcony or something at some higher point. Yeah, it's gotta be something like that. Or maybe this guy is so awesome that he can throw a grappling hook (laughs) 150 feet up in the air. I guess so. When they get to the top they see that the rim of this balcony is encrusted with jewels and Conan says... There's a fortune here. Why don't we just steal these? And Taurus goes, dude, keep your eye on the prize, Mm -hmm. man. If we secure the heart, these and all other things shall be ours. So Conan's like, okay, I guess, yeah, let's do that then. Go big. So Conan looks over at the hook and he sees that it is caught on the edge of one of these gems, one of these inlaid gems. It didn't actually hook on the underside of the the balcony. It got caught on a gem. And Taurus goes... Luck was with us again. One would think that our combined weight would have torn the stone out. So they've been real lucky. They've been very lucky, and they move like stalking tigers. Uh, Yeah. I counted. There's actually only two panther references and three tiger references in this story. He alternates between tigers and wolves. Yeah, I also looked up wolves, too. There's two wolf ones. One where he's the wolf among rats, and there's others where he moves wolf-like. Right. There's a lot of animal comparison here, but it works. It does. Work. It works for me. Yeah. Now uh, that they're at the top of this tower, they can see that there is a golden door that goes into the tower. Taurus tells Conan, you stay outside. I'm going to go in. I want you to watch around the outside of the tower to see if there's any trouble below. Mm-hmm. And Conan's like, hmm, I don't really need to do that. Yeah, that seems odd. And this guy might be trying to pull a fast one on me, but he's been straight so far, so I'm just going to stick around out here and do what he says. Which was, in the end, was pretty smart for him to do. Yeah, Like, Taurus opens up the door, too, and he gets a glimpse inside. It's just full of sweet, sweet treasure in there. Yeah. And I was suspicious of Taurus as well, because he pulls the door shut behind him. He doesn't leave it open for Conan. He goes in, shuts it. Yeah. But good thing that Conan stayed out there, because as soon as he goes in, he hears, well, there's a little bit of time that passes, and then he hears this, like, you know, strangled cry of some kind. So Taurus comes running out, and he's kind of making one of these uh, 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 noises. And Conan looks into the room and sees that there's no attacker. Conan bends over Taurus and he just flipping dies. And, he's, and Conan looks him over, sees there's no stab wounds or anything like that. But there are these three small pricks on his back, like these little puncture marks. Conan is studying this, by the way, like a panther at bay. He is. <laughs> the edges of the wounds are blackened. So Conan thinks, well, that looks like poison to me, but... If there were darts, they would still be in his neck. So he doesn't know what the heck's going on. So Kona looks in the room again, just sees that it's full of treasure, gems and treasure chests and all that stuff, but no attacker. And there's another door on the other side of the room that he sees. He's wondering, is that where the death came from? Like, maybe it popped out there, but 
I guess I'll just go in there and check it out, <laughs> you know, which is I'm a little different than Conan in that I once I saw this guy come falling out, I think, why don't I go with my original plan of stealing all the jewels here and just beat it? Yeah, but he's young and, and it seems like a good idea to him. So he just goes in there. He goes in this room just drinking in all these riches, just looking at all this stuff, but he doesn't touch any of it. And then he moves into close to the door. But as he gets to about the center of the room, something comes at him. Of course, Mm -hmm. Conan's awesome. He's quick and he senses it coming. So he gets out of the way. But Conan gets a look at this thing and it is a giant black spider. Such as men see only in nightmare dreams. It was as large as a pig and its eight thick hairy legs drove its ogreish body over the floor at headlong pace. Its four evilly gleaming eyes shone with a horrible intelligence and its fangs dripped venom that Conan knew from the burning of his shoulder where only a few drops had splashed as the thing struck and missed, was laden with swift death. This was the killer that had dropped from its perch in the middle of the ceiling on the strand of its web on the neck of the Nemedian. Fools that they were not to have suspected that the upper chambers would be guarded as well as the lower. Ah, giant spider. Giant spider, man. I wonder how many times this was around in fiction prior to this. I was trying to remember. Was there a giant spider in one of the Dunsany stories that we read? Well, I think the one that we covered, I felt like there was a giant spider in there. I know we did some kind of water-themed story with the giant spider, the waters of death. Mm-hmm. It seems it's almost like played out now. I remember when we saw the Lord of the Rings movies, the giant spider stuff scared my wife. Just a week or so ago, I was watching the Hobbit movie on HBO. Mm-hmm. And she walked by and she's like, ah, another giant spider, big deal. <laughs> you know, totally not <laughs> scared of it. I got to tell you, I had this, I tweeted about this. I had this really weird experience the other night. Mm-hmm. We opened up the month with something in the moonlight, that Lynn Carter story. Right. Where the guy thought there was a lizard in the moon that was after him. Yeah. So I'm flipping channels the other night. I just got a little digital antenna for my TV because we were, we don't have cable or anything like that, but we wanted to watch the mm-hmm. new Colbert show. So we got that. So I'm seeing things in syndication again. And there was a Miami Vice episode on. And just as I flipped over to it, Crockett says, am I supposed to believe there's a lizard in the moon? What? And then young Chris Rock was in this episode and he was talking about a cult. And then there, I'm, I left and I came back and they were out in the desert and James Brown was sitting in a chair and he was the a cult leader. What? I was a little drunk. So the whole thing, like, I'm like, am I imagining this? <laughs> Like, what's going on? But I looked it up. It's an episode of the show from the fourth season called Missing Hours. I haven't rewatched the whole thing yet, but I'm just putting it out there. The whole thing involves some kind of alien cult that Crockett and Tubbs get involved in. And I think one of the girls gets indoctrinated into. James Brown is a cult leader. Chris Rock's in it. There's a lizard in the moon. That's crazy. I think there were lots of cult episodes of shows in the 80s because that whole satanic panic kind of thing was going on. But this was like some cra- it's some crazy alien and cult thing. I, I mean, it was just so mm-hmm. weird that we had discovered that and that it was on Miami Vice. It really weirded me out. Yeah, that is really, really bizarre. Anyway, back to the spider attack. The giant spider leaps at Conan, but he jumps over it and it charges again. This time, Conan cuts off one of its legs and it crawls up to the ceiling where it was hiding before and starts spinning some web and then it attacks again. Conan jumps out of the way, but it knows what the thing's trying to do. It's trying to ensnare him. Right. It actually is making these webs. It's kind of throwing webs at him and he's jumping out of the way but it's starting to block his motions well it's like it's getting progressively more difficult because the more 
right? The more webbing he throws, the less area Conan has to move in. And he knows that even if he tries to cut through it, a sword will get stuck and that'll slow him down, you know, just long enough. He even says, like, if I hit it with my sword, my sword gets stuck. I'm dead. Right. The spider keeps moving around him, trying to get him in, into the webbing. But Conan, again, is too awesome. Mm-hmm. This continues for a bit. when the, the web just fills up the room and makes it harder and harder for Conan to avoid them. I love this line. It's so evocative. All over the chamber went on that devil's game in utter silence except for the quick breathing of the man, the low scuff of his bare feet on the shining floor, and the castanet rattle of the monstrosity's fangs. It's quiet. There's no noise. There's no dramatic music playing in the background right. when this is happening. Moving around just trying to survive, and it just, I don't know, made it really real to it, me. It's a really cool action scene. Unfortunately, as Conan jumps around, the spider catches him on the ankle with some web. And Conan falls down. Spider sees its opening, charges Conan, but Conan reaches over. He grabs a, a small treasure chest and he throws it at the spider. And when he does, it just smashes into the thing. I mean, like a big bloody mess. Like it's dead. That's amazing. By the way, you say small. I don't think it's a small treasure chest. No, you think it's like a full blown? Yeah, it says full in the midst of the branching black legs, the massive missile struck. So this is like oh, right. a chest. It's also full of jewels. Yeah. And he threw it with like one arm. Well, he's badass. The other day, I got there was a spider in the house and I didn't want to kill it. Half because I'm nice, half because I didn't want the dead spider stuff all over the wall. I did the thing where you put the piece of paper and then put a cup over it, went outside. I'm like, here you go, little buddy. <laughs> put the cup down, lifted it up. No spider. I'm like, huh? Then I looked down, the spider's on the outside of the cup and I just lost my shit. I was like, ah! <laughs> Threw the cup way into the air, like jumped up and down. Uh, I just looked like an idiot, man. I'm opposite Conan. That reminds me of the Battle of El Grande that I had. I think I've told that before on the... The Battle of El Grande? Yeah, this was when I was living in Pittsburgh. Uh-huh. Me and my roommate Scooter, we were watching TV and this cockroach crawled out on the television and we were like oh god it was huge too you know like a few inches long we went to kill it because it was so brazenly just standing (laughs) on top of our television set not afraid of us at all I got a rolled up newspaper I go to hit it miss it the back of it flicks up and it flies <laughs> yeah, it flew at us. And I was like, I didn't know cockroaches could fly, but I didn't grow up in Pittsburgh. They have, they call them, I think, palmetto bugs. Uh-huh. Basically, they're flying cockroaches. That's what they are. Oh, man. We were swinging it, trying to hit it. And then finally I hit it. I must have just nicked it because we went to scoop it up with this plastic 7-Eleven big cup thing. Yeah. As I picked it up to, to throw it outside into the street it freaking woke up and started moving around again. I was like, I can't believe it. I hit it with the rolled up newspaper and it survived. Uh, and as far as I know, he's still out there living around Pittsburgh. El Grande. Probably the size of a Chevy Nova now. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. So Conan looks around for more trouble and finds none. It takes him some time to get his foot out of the web, but he does it eventually. Mm. And he is super determined now that he's gone through all the stuff to get to that inner door. Mm -hmm. It's unlocked. He wonders if the guards heard all the racket up there, but he doesn't care. He's going to go on. He's Conan. And he thinks about Yara and how powerful he is and how foul this guy must be to have freaking giant spiders living up in his house. He opens the door. It leads to some stairs that go down. He takes the stairs down to an ivory door and there's some odd smelling smoke coming out from the bottom of the door. And that gets us into chapter three. And here Conan is uh, staring like a wolf in strange surroundings (laughs) in this room. Coda goes into the room uh, with much wolf-like caution, ready to fight or flee because he doesn't know what he's going to be dealing with here. Mm. It's a large domed chamber, walls of green jade, floor of ivory, and a brazier on a tripod. And the brazier is where the smoke is coming from, the strange smelling. uh, I'm guessing it's some kind of incense. I don't know. There is a statue of this green man with an elephant's head lying on a marble couch. Yeah, great. 
description. The image had the body of a man, naked and green in color, but the head was one of nightmare and madness. Too large for the human body, it had no attributes of humanity. Conan stared at the wide, flaring ears, the curling proboscis, on either side of which stood white tusks tipped with round golden balls. The eyes were closed as if in sleep. So Conan thinks, well, elephant's heart must be inside this statue, I guess. Mm. And as he moves towards the statue, its eyes open. Oh, no! And the thing sits up and looks around, and Conan is so freaked out that he does not run or fight. Mm -hmm. He just stands there. Right. This paragraph here is just outstanding. (laughs) This first sentence, especially, that he did not instantly explode in a burst of murderous frenzy is a fact that measures his horror, which paralyzed him where he stood. A civilized man in his position would have sought doubtful refuge in the conclusion that he was insane. It did not occur to the Cimmerian to doubt his senses. He knew he was face to face with the demon of the elder world, and the realization robbed him of all his faculties except sight. So here's a kind of another comparison of barbarianism to civilization. It's very non-Lovecraftian that he doesn't doubt his senses at all because Mm -hmm. the Lovecraftian character at first would say, oh, I must be insane. But Conan just says, okay, this is real because I'm seeing it. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me, there's a passage from another fantastic Conan story, Queen of the Black Coast, which is, I think, is the one with him splitting the judge's skull that we referenced before. But uh, in that one, Conan says, let teachers and priests and philosophers brood over questions of reality and illusion. I know this. If life is an illusion, then I am no less an illusion. And being thus, the illusion is real to me. I live, I burn with life, I love, I slay and I'm content. With this notion that, so what if it's an illusion? That means I'm an illusion. That means I'm part of the illusion. That means it's real to me. Yeah. He, he doesn't have time to deal with the philosophy end of it. And that barbarianism actually, I think, is fairly insightful. Yeah. If you've been awash in religious ideas and in philosophical ideas and civilized ideas, you ponder these questions, which to him just seem ridiculous. Because if your senses are seeing it, then it's there and you deal with it. And that's it. Barbarians are very pragmatic. Yeah. This creature, like I said, has a, like a tr- elephant's head, basically, but it's a trunk. Trunk probes around trying to feel for something. And Conan realizes that this creature is blind. Yeah. And that made him not really afraid. So he started to creep out of the room, but the thing spoke. And that made Conan freeze all over again because it's so flippin' freaky. Yeah, the being spoke in a strange, stammering voice that never changed its key or timber. The Cimmerian knew that those jaws were never built or intended for human speech. The voice says, Who is there? Have you come to torture me again, Yara? Will you never be done? Oh, Yaghosa, is there no end to agony? And then a tear rolls down the creature's face. And at that point, Conan looks at this creature's body and he sees that there's marks from a rack and burns from brands. Yeah. And he knows he knows what those are. He, he's got, unfortunately, experience with that stuff. Conan knows that this creature has been tortured. Yeah. Not only that, but his body is atrophied because looking at it, he knew that it was once as buff as Conan was. Right. But now, <laughs> you know, not really so buff anymore. It's been sitting there tortured and unable to move for a long period of time and it's this and suddenly all fear and repulsion went from him to be replaced by a great pity he was looking upon a cosmic tragedy and he shrank with shame as if the guilt of the whole race were laid upon him so he even feels a little like ah i bet men did this to you and conan feels kind of sad yeah and then conan tells the creature that i'm i'm not yara i'm just a thief the creature says come near me that i may touch you and then conan without any fear they you know said it his sword hanging forgotten in his hand the sensitive trunk came out and groped over his face and shoulders as a blind man gropes, and its touch was as light as a girl's hand. Huh. What is going on in this story? Because I'm being emotionally manipulated right now. Yeah. This is stuff. I'm really sad. Like, I really feel this, like, this sweet 
tortured creature somehow. I don't know. Oh, man. Well, there's been so much manliness going on. This whole scene just inverts it really quickly. It's like a sock in the gut. And this elephant guy, elephant man, you know, he's inhuman, he's hideous, but immediately you feel for him. Yeah. And and that was what struck me the first time I read this. It connects to look at an elephant in a zoo. Sure. You think, uh, this isn't right. What's been done to you? This is horrible. And Conan feels that pity, no matter how strong or, you know, the fact that he's a thief or he's somewhat amoral or whatever. He, he just looks at it and he, you know, he knows this isn't right. This creature knows that Conan isn't one of Yara's people, but that he's from the wastelands. Mm-hmm. He says, well, I know your people well, but they had other names when I knew them. It notices that Conan has blood on his hands. And Conan says, well, I just killed a spider and a lion. <laughs> but the creature knows more. He knows about the Cothian that he killed right. and about Taurus dying as well. Yeah, slaying in the tavern and a slaying on the road. He knows he can sense more than what he physically feels. And Conan admits these things. But the creature says, a slaying in the tavern, a slaying on the road, I know, I feel. And the third will make the magic of which not even Yara dreams. Oh, magic of deliverance, green gods of Yag. So he perceives that Conan may be there to to deliver him. The creature rocks back and forth at this revelation. It has this kind of flurry of emotions, kind of like joy and sadness, and like he knows that he's finally going to be free. Mm-hmm. And Conan doesn't know what to make of it because he's like, man, this is some crazy stuff going on right now. Yeah. And the creature goes on to say that, I know I look strange to you, but I'm not from around here. I'm from another world, and I'm no god or demon. I'm flesh and blood just like you. There are many worlds besides this earth, and life takes many shapes, though the substance differ in part and the form be cast in a different mold. This, he's an alien. This part is crazy. It came from another planet to Earth a long time ago. The planet was called Yag. He came with a bunch of his elephant-headed people as Mm -hmm. well. And they had wings, and they flew through space on these wings faster than the speed of light to Earth. And they left their planet because they were at war with the kings of Yag. They lost. And once they got to Earth, their wings withered from their shoulders. They ended up having to fight a lot of Earth creatures until they were left alone to kind of show they were dominant. Or just not to be trifled with because they didn't try and conquer anything. They just wanted to live. But these guys settled it. They found a place to be and be left alone. Yeah, on the jungles to the east, they saw apes become humans. And they saw the rise and fall of Atlantis and Lemuria. Uh, They've seen the new people as well. They watched these things happen, but they didn't interfere. So I guess they have some kind of prime directive going on. All of the other... Yagites? Sure. The elephant-headed people, whatever you want to call them. They're not immortal. They've died. Now, they live a long time, a really, really, really long time. He was the last guy. And at this point, some yellow-skinned people started worshiping him as a god. And he was just like, well, I got nothing better going on, so I guess this is cool. (laughs) I'm lonely, yeah. But this is where he meets Yara. Yara knew a lot about sorcery before he ever met him. Yara wanted to know more. And he started praying to this creature. And the creature taught him some wisdom. But obviously not enough because he wanted to know about black magic. And this creature said, look, I'm not, I know about black magic, but I'm not going to show you it because it, it's just, it's bad. Right. But the creature did not, he didn't suspect that Yara was as talented or as knowledgeable as he actually was. Yara is very resourceful and found his own black magic. And then he used it to trap this creature. Yara also used the magic to make this creature reveal its secrets. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Yara, having this creature in prison, took it away from the jungles to Zamora. Locked him up in the tower. Which the creature built in one night <laughs> yeah. with his magic. And from then on, it's been Yara's slave. And Yara has tortured this creature for like 300 years and it made its do as been 300 years the creature is also sad because it's made him commit cosmic sins is what he says he doesn't Mm. go into specifics about that the creature would have taken its life long ago but obviously he can't so horrible and and if it's not what i would expect from a conan story if i came into this uninitiated right no yeah these are the things that you might not get if you are just a fan of the arnold schwarzenegger movie or whatever i mean there's monsters but this whole 
thing that's happening right now is so Lovecraftian, yeah. but also unique. Amazing way to go with this story. I just didn't see it coming. No way. Yeah, it's, it's, it is crazy. Now it's payback time. Right. Though. Fate has brought Conan here. This elephant-headed creature asks Conan to go to the altar, which is in the room, and points out there's a big red gem there. And he mm-hmm. says, it's the elephant's heart. Conan does this. And he says, uh, now for the great magic, the mighty magic, such as Earth has not seen before and shall not see again. Through a million million of millennia, by my lifeblood I conjure it, by blood born on the green breast of Yag, dreaming far poised in the great blue vastness of space. He's saying, take this thing, I have some words for you to, to say. Mm-hmm. Well, he's first he wants him to cut out his heart. Cut out my heart, and then I want you to take my heart, squeeze it over this red gem so that the blood drips over it. Mm-hmm. And then I want you to go downstairs with this gem, go into the ebony chamber where Yara sits, he's going to be stoned out of his mind on Lotus. Speak his name, he'll wake up, put the gem in front of him and say, Yagkosha gives you a last gift and a last enchantment. Then get the hell out of the tower. Yeah. Don't worry about the guards or anything. I've got you covered. It's not a problem. Just do this and I will be eternally grateful to you. Conan's not sure about it, but he's like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Yeah. He kills the creature, takes out its heart, which is still beating as he does all this stuff, which is pretty creepy. He squeezes over the stone, but the stone, it doesn't just drip off the stone. It sucks up the blood. Right, like as water absorbed by a sponge. Really crazy stuff. But, you know, Conan is the right man for the job because he doesn't question things. Yakosha says, do this. He goes, all right. <laughs> Anybody else would say, cut out your heart. Wait a minute, man. Don't you want to live? But Conan goes, I clearly doesn't want to, so I'm just going to do what he says. Yep. He, he gets the stone and he goes down the stairs. He's not looking back because he instinctively feels that some transmutation was taking place in the body on the marble couch yeah. and was not the sort to be witnessed by human eyes. So he's not even going to look back. He goes to that ebony chamber, does what he's asked. Yara wakes up and he calls Conan a dog and then he asks him what he's doing. And then Yara is also super tall. Like he's way taller than Conan, gaunt and creepy and stuff. And he says the words, Yakosha gives you a last gift and a last enchantment. And I really feel at the end of that, he should have ended it with mother. (laughs) He should have. He's evil. Yeah. This guy really has it coming. So Yara looks at the stone, almost like he's hypnotized. And he picks up the stone and he he keeps staring at it. Conan's like, something weird's going on because he seems smaller Mm -hmm. than he did initially. And then Conan's like, okay, yeah, no, actually he, he is shrinking. He's getting smaller and smaller. Yeah. And Conan just watches this go down like it's a play. Like, he's not afraid. He's not freaked out. He's just like, man, this is really crazy stuff going on. I'm enjoying this. And he just kind of watches it happen. And then Yara is finally the size of a child and puts the gem on a table. But he's trying to get away from it. But he can't. Something about it. He kind of walks away from it. But then it kind of comes back around. And he's sort of circling it, getting closer and closer, almost like it's a drain. And it's almost comical because, says, Yara is waving tiny arms and shrieking in a voice that was like the squeak of an insect. He's getting so tiny. Oh, no, you're living out He gets so small, finally, that he just gets sucked into the gem like a person going into water, it says. He can see him inside of the gem after that. Yeah, because, well, the gem was kind of cloudy at first, Mm -hmm. but then it becomes clear and he sees Yara inside of the gem, but he also sees the creature as well. And the creature isn't all weak and blind and stuff. It's badass again. It's, you know, all buff and it's got the big old wings and it's coming for Yara. Then the gem just sort of pops out of existence. Yeah. It's just gone. And then Conan goes, oh, yeah, time to go. And then he just gets the hell out of there. He runs uh, down the stairs, and there's a room with a bunch of dudes in them. They seem passed out, but they weren't. They sat slumped at the banquet board, their dusky plumes waving somberly above their drooping helmeted heads. 
They lay among their dice and fallen goblets on the wine-stained lapis lazuli floor. And he knew that they were dead. The promise had been made, the word kept, whether sorcery or magic or the falling shadow of great green wings had stilled the reverie, Conan could not know. But his way had been made clear, and a silver door stood open, framed in the whiteness of dawn. Into the waving green gardens came the Chimerian, and as the dawn wind blew upon him with the cool fragrance of luxuriant growths, he started like a man waking from a dream. He turned back uncertainly to stare at the cryptic tower he had just left. Was he bewitched and enchanted? Had he dreamed all that had seemed to have passed? As he looked, he saw the gleaming tower sway against the crimson dawn, its jewel-crusted rim sparkling in the growing light, and crash into shining shards. That, that's how we close it out. That's the end. That's the end of the story. Conan didn't get anything out of this. He didn't get uh, any of the treasure at all. Actually, he got a lot of great life experience. He did. And he acted out of pity. He righted a great wrong. So I guess he got the feeling of having done that. And it definitely would be a, a, a benefit to the Zamorians. Sure. You know, they don't have to be drunk all the time in fear of Yara anymore. Pretty amazing story. Robert E. Howard, I think, was underrated. Yeah. Especially with these Conan stories. This stuff is, just, his writing is so digestible. It just, just flows. It's one of those things where it, it, there's no effort to it. Yeah, absolutely. You said before how he, the stories were just being told to him. And when he was writing it down, it wasn't like he was even having to think about it. It just happened. Yeah. That's how it feels to read these stories. Like you're just, it's just happening. God, I love Lovecraft. However, there's some effort involved sure. in reading some Lovecraft. This stuff, there isn't any effort. There is also this kind of richness to it that you wouldn't expect with something so pulpy. Mm. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I know we're going to do another Conan story because one of the other Kickstarter backers had also picked up, but a different Conan story. Okay. I don't remember which one it is, but we're going to do another Conan story. Yay. But that won't be for a while because next month is a very special month. We haven't announced it yet, but October belongs to Robert Block. Blocktober. Blocktober. Yes, was suggested by a few different people, and I think it was a great idea. We haven't done any Robert Block yet. Clearly, he hugely influenced by Lovecraft. They were correspondents as when yes. he was a teenager, and uh, it's about time we got to some of his work. So what are we going to do first? Do you know? We're doing Notebook Found in a Deserted House. Notebook Found in a Deserted House. All right. And I've read this story, and it is flipping creepy, man. Oh, good. I haven't read it. Yeah, it's really creepy. I'm excited about uh, talking about it. Good. Well, I'm excited. I want to thank our reader this week, Christopher Barnes, also for asking us to do this story. Thanks so much. Good job, dude. And that's all we have for you. I am Chad Pfeiffer. I'm Chris Lackey, and you've been listening to the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. At hppodcraft.com. hppodcraft.com. Ah!